We are on Exubus Yotesa Mabez 19b4 in the first column in the Art Scroll Gemara. The Gemara will now be uh, continuing its discussion of the topic of our Mishnah. So again, our Mishnah was discussing a case of Pesha Asar, specifically in the context of Kim Shtaros. Kim Shtaros is uh, the process in which one uh, says that a document is authentic, that it's not forged. Uh, there's different ways to accomplish this. One of the ways is when we have witnesses who testify in court that we know that what this, that these are the signatures of so-and-so and that it's accurate and these people actually signed. Um, so if we have witnesses who recognize the signatures, so then we know that it is not forged. Um, that is one way in which we could um, verify the authenticity of the document. There are other ways also, if the witnesses themselves come to court, different ways that we could uh, prove its authenticity and that would be necessary in cases where it's put into question. If, let's say, one of the parties questions the accuracy of the document. And so the mission discussed the case where the witnesses themselves come to court and they say, it's true, we signed, we did sign, however, we are disqualified for whatever reason. It's because we're related to somebody, and so therefore we couldn't testify, or because we were a minor, or we were forced into it, there was a gun put to our heads. So whatever the case is, um, that they are disqualified, and the question is whether they're believed or not. If there's a Pesha Asar, if they have this idea that we, we only know that it's their signatures through their testimony, through their word of mouth, so therefore we have to believe them in its entirety, and therefore it really is a disqualified uh, document. It's not a, they were disqualified witnesses, and so therefore the document is thrown out. The Gemara now will discuss a similar case, although slightly different, because this case is not where the witnesses themselves come to us and tell us that it's their signature. However, in this case, we have outside witnesses. In fact, the witnesses who signed on the document, they've since passed, they no, are no longer alive, and there are now other witnesses who come and they testify and they say that we know that these are the signatures of so-and-so. However, then they add on and they point out, but we also know that they were disqualified. So what happens, is there any difference when you have outside witnesses making this argument? So that's what our Gemara will deal with right now. So it's taught in a b'risa. If you have two people who sign a document and these two people die, so they cannot come and testify about their own signature, and two people come from the market, two other people, they come and they say, So if they come to court and uh, they say that uh, we recognize the signatures and the handwriting, but you should know uh, they were forced into it or they were disqualified because they were relatives or they were a minor, whatever the case is, so they are believed. They are in fact believed. And the reason for this could also be because of the Pesha Asar. We only know through their testimony that the signatures were accurate, were, were not forged. Um, and so therefore we'll believe them to also say that the witnesses, when they signed, they were disqualified. And so therefore they're believed. What does it mean that they're believed? It means that we would have to throw out the document. That's seemingly what it means that they're believed. The rest of the Brisa is going to be discussed at length. It's uh, not so simple what exactly is going on in the rest of the Brisa. The rest of the Brisa says, however, what happens if it's not just based on the testimony 
of these two people who then say that the, the witnesses were disqualified. But we already know, we've already proven the authenticity of this document through some other source, from other witnesses. Or it was from a parallel document with the same signatures that was already presented in court. Mishtar Shakar of Ira Vehosabazdin was already it was a different document that was put into question and the court already proved that the signatures were accurate and, and it's the same exact signature. So the point is is that we've already proven the authenticity of the document without these two witnesses coming to court. Now these two witnesses come to court and what do they do? They say that we know that these people signed, which we already, we already knew. We, the court, already knew this. But they come and they add, but you should know that they were disqualified. So the Bryce says, Ain elu They are actually not believed. We do not believe them. Now, before we get into the Gemara, let's just analyze this for a second. The case here, the second case here, is where we basically have two witnesses who say that we know that they signed on the document. Uh, they do kiim shtaros, they, they prove the authenticity of the document. Now, if they're proving the authenticity of the document, so then together with that, this is also part of the novel concept of a shtar, of a halachic document. Once we know that they signed, so then they're also essentially... Through their t- signatures, they're basically saying that we were also kosher. We were valid witnesses. Everything in the document, when they signed, they're saying everything in the document uh, was done kehalacha, according to Jewish law. And so therefore, they're also saying that we are good witnesses. Now, when you have these two other witnesses come along and they say, wait a minute, we know that they're disqualified. Essentially, what you have in this case is, is a situation of two witnesses saying that, meaning the two witnesses on the document itself, saying that we are qualified, we are allowed to sign, and then you have two other witnesses who say that they are disqualified. This is now called a treu tre, when we have two witnesses saying uh, the opposite of what two other witnesses are saying, so what do you do in such a case? We know that according to Jewish law, two witnesses is, um, is, is what's necessary to prove something, and so now we have a clash here between two witnesses and two other witnesses. So what do you do? This is called a trey utre. Uh, so we'll see in the Gemara, the Gemara will explain that if there's a case, we'll get there, they'll, they'll ask a question, uh, but we'll get there. Essentially, in the end of the day, we're going to say, leave the money where it is. In a case of trey utre, when you have two witnesses going up against two other witnesses, which is the case, the second case here in this brysa, Two witnesses, essentially, the witnesses who signed on the document are basically saying from the grave, right? They passed away already. But by signing it, they're saying that uh, we know that, that everything was done correctly. Two other witnesses now come to court and they say that no, they're disqualified. Two versus two. So if it's a case of two versus two, we have to leave the money where it is. We cannot touch the money. We don't touch it. So what that means is that in the case of a loan, let's say, we would tell the borrower that he does not have to pay. He doesn't have to pay. He doesn't have to give the money. We don't tell. We can't tell him to give the money, which is actually quite fascinating because then what comes out is that the first case and the second case, we both say that he doesn't have to pay. In the first case, he doesn't have to pay because we have actually disqualified the document. Once it's no longer a loan document, throw it out. He doesn't have to pay. In the second case, it's not that we throw it out. We just don't know. We throw our hands up in the air and we say we don't know. If we don't know, we just don't do anything. And that's why he doesn't have to pay. So potentially, what's, then what's the difference between the first case and the second case? Potentially, if this analysis is correct, uh, you could come up with a difference of, let's say, the lender goes into the borrower's house and takes the money that he believes belongs to him. 
Would that work or would that not work? So according to the, in the first case, where there's just one pair of witnesses and we trust them, they're the only ones who testified to the authenticity of the document and they said that they're also, it, it's not a good document, they're disqualified from testimony, so we believe them and then we, we threw out the document. Nobody could collect, even if they collect, even if the lender collects it, we have to give it back. He had no right to take it. It was a false document. However, in the second case, where it's not that it's a false document, there's just two against two, and we say, leave the money where it is, don't do anything. So then there's room to say, well, if the lender goes out of his way and takes the money from the borrower against his will, so then maybe we should just leave the money where it is and leave it by the lender. Maybe there's potential to say that. Perhaps that's how you could explain this Gemara. So the Gemara will essentially get there. The Gemara says, you're telling me that in the second case that they're not believed. What does it mean to be not believed? It means that the document's a good document? How could you tell me the document's a good document? We have two versus two. Two witnesses, those who sign say that it's a good document. We have two other witnesses say it's not a good document. So how can we collect with it? How is it possible to collect with it? So the Gemara answers, no. Amr of Sheshes. So the Gemara wants to give first one answer. The Gemara will reject this first answer. But the Gemara first answer, and then it'll come on to the second answer, which is what we just mentioned. But Rav Shesha says, no, I'll tell you why. The answer is, is that in order to believe the second witnesses to say that they were disqualified, so then it's similar to a case of Edim Zomimim. Now, Edim Zomimim is a case that the Gemara will get to probably in the next class. Uh, but essentially, Edim Zomimim is a situation where, let's say you have two witnesses who come to court and they say, we witnessed the murder on Sunday at 9 p.m. Then you have two other witnesses who come to court and they say, I don't know what happened in terms of the murder. Could have happened, maybe it didn't happen. But what we do know is that those witnesses weren't there. Because on Sunday at 9 p.m. they were with us somewhere else. So that's called Ede Hazama. And so when they testify, they're not really testifying on the murder. They have no idea what took place. They're testifying on the witnesses. And so when they testify on the witnesses, the rule is, is that they actually the witnesses have to be in court. It's like they become the litigants. Sort of. It's like a case within a case. And so they sort of become the litigants, and therefore the litigants have to be present. So Rav Shesh is saying that that's not only true by Hazama, that's not just true by this case of Edim Zomin, where they're testifying where the first witnesses were. It's even in the case of any case where there's a contradiction, where two witnesses say one thing, two other witnesses come and say something else. The original witnesses have to be there. Are the original witnesses there? No, they're dead. So Rav Shesh says, this is now on Chafam and Aleph 28.1, just like uh, you cannot uh, say that the witnesses are disqualified based on Edim Zomimin, based on the fact that they were really somewhere else, unless they're in your presence. So you cannot contradict the other witnesses, which would mean then that the second witnesses who say that they were disqualified can't, can't believe them, can't trust them, because the original witnesses are not in court. So if Nachman responds back by saying, no, that is not... A good argument. Nachman basically says, I don't understand. If the witnesses who signed were pre- are present, so then we would believe the second pair to say that they're disqualified, right? If they're present. Now that they're not here, well, if they're present, they're arguing on the second pair. Now that they're not here, it's entirely possible that they would agree that they were disqualified. We have no idea. They're not here. Maybe they would, in fact, agree with the second pair to say that they were disqualified. So you're going to tell me just because they're not here that we don't believe the second pair? If they were here, we would believe the second pair. 
even though they argue on the second pair. Now that they're not here, we <laughs> there's a possibility that they'll agree to the second pair. Essentially, what Rav Nachman is saying, I believe, is that in the case of a, just a contradiction, we can't view them as though they're testifying, the second pair is testifying on the witnesses themselves. No, they're testifying on the case. And one pair says one way, the other pair says the other way. We can't just throw it out. So Elam Rav Nachman, so Rav Nachman essentially rejects this suggestion and says, no, they don't actually have to be present. The first pair of witnesses do not have to be present when the second pair of witnesses just contradict the first pair. It's not necessary. They're not the new litigants. So what's the explanation? Ella, Amr of Nachman, of Nachman says, Essentially what we said in our introduction, when you have two versus two, our fallback option is always to leave the money where it is. We're not going to get involved. We'll leave the money where it is because we don't know what to do. This is the clash of the highest forms of proof. Two witnesses is the highest forms of proof, going up against two other witnesses, which are the highest forms of proof. So we just won't do anything. We'll leave the money where it is. What's this comparable to? Similar to an incident involving the property of Barshatya. What was Barshatya? Barshatya, essentially, he sold property. The Barshatya is Abin Nechzi. It's unclear. He was somebody who was sometimes mentally aware and functional, and sometimes he wasn't. He was deranged, um, and he wasn't able to think straight. Uh, so it would only be viewed as a good sale if he was mentally there and uh, cognizant of what he was doing. So two witnesses come and say that, no, he when he sold it, it was when he was not all there. Two other witnesses say that it was when he was there. So what do we do? So Ravashi says, I'm Ravashi. We leave the money where it is. Who was the last owner? Barshatya was the last owner. So therefore, since he was the last owner, leave it by him. We have to leave the money where it is. So the Gemara just qualifies this one last point by saying, We only say that we leave it by Barshatya because we don't know if he sold it when he was in a mental state of awareness or not. We only do that if we knew that it belonged to him. How do we know that it belongs to him? The only way for us to know that it belongs to him is that if he got it from his father. If he got it as Yerusha, as inheritance from his father, now we know that it belongs to him. But if he bought it from somebody else, well, slow down. <laughs> it's the same exact question. When he bought it, did he buy it? We have the same suffix. The same question is in doubt. We're in doubt here. Did he buy it when he was aware? Did he buy it when he wasn't aware? We just don't know. So just like we'll have an argument with regards to whether he sold it when he was aware, so we'll have an argument whether he bought it. When he was aware, we don't even know if it's his. So if it came from his father, we know that it's his, so therefore we'll leave it in his property. But if we don't know that, know that it's his, so then we'll leave it in the buyer's property. Because we don't, there's never a point in time where we actually knew that it belonged to Barshatya. So in the end of the day, uh, this is a very important Gemara that discusses the concept of tre utre, when you have two witnesses and then another two witnesses and they contradict each other. So then what do you do? So the fallback seems to be, we don't want to get involved because we just don't know what to do. You have the highest forms of, of proof from Jew, uh, Jewish law, from halacha, uh, so therefore we just don't know what to do. We'll just, we won't get involved. We'll leave it where it is. Um, which is important because the, the, some of the commentators will bring up, well, why don't we apply a migu here or a rove? We should go based on the majority. There should be different ways of proof. The point is that we can't go based on that because Whatever form of proof you have, it's no better than two witnesses. And each side already has two witnesses. There's a concept that two witnesses is just like a hundred. It doesn't make a difference. Once you have those two witnesses, that is a pure form of, of testimony. We have to believe them. So even if you want to bring in all these other forms and proofs, 
we won't listen to it. The only thing we'll listen to is status quo. Status quo is not a proof. It's just this is what we do when we don't know what to do. And so therefore, since we don't know what to do, what to do we'll say leave the money where it is. Okay, that's the explanation of that b'risa with the Resha and the Seifa, the first part of the b'risa where we actually believe the witnesses to say that it's a, it's, they, they signed it when they were not supposed to, when they were disqualified. And the second case is a case where it's trade trade, it's two versus two, and therefore we will just leave, leave the money where it is. We will not get involved. Okay, we'll continue with the Gemara in the next recording uh, with, uh, with, a, with a new topic.